We'll go ahead and open up to uh, Matthew chapter 7. Today we're going to be looking at uh, verses 12 to 14. Passage, if your Bible is like mine, the, the heading of it is the golden rule. And uh, when I say golden rule, probably most of you have something that comes to mind as to what the golden rule is. But let's go ahead and read our our passage, and then we will uh, unpack the passage. Uh, Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. So it might surprise you, maybe it won't, I don't know, but it might might surprise you to know uh, that this golden rule or whatever version of the golden rule that you know uh, or have known over the years, that Jesus wasn't the first or the only person to say this. Many uh, faith traditions have some version uh, of this golden rule. Uh, in fact, uh, people that don't even adhere to really any kind of religious faith would probably have some kind of version of the golden rule. Um, in Jesus' day, about A.D. 20, uh, there was a rabbi uh, during his time who uh, was challenged by a Gentile, in fact, to summarize the law uh, during the short time that this Gentile could stand on one foot. Kind of a silly challenge, but I guess that's how they rolled back then. And the rabbi reportedly responded while the Gentile was on foot, what is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. This is the whole law. All the rest is commentary. Go and learn it. Um, Now, most versions of the golden rule, like the version of this rabbi, kind of come in the negative sense. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. Right? We can understand this. Right? You, you don't want to be murdered in your sleep, right? so you don't kill anybody. You don't want things taken from you so you don't steal. Right? We, we can get behind these, these ideas um, to not do to others what we don't want them to do to us. Um, there's kind of this idea out there that kind of what you put into the world is what you get back from the world. Right? So, so if you put good things into the world, you get good things out of the world. Um, I think the Bible might have something to say about that, but, and, and that's not what Jesus is saying today, but kind of this version of the golden rule that's out there uh, that people subscribe to often has some kind of thinking like that behind it. But Jesus, as he often does, uh, takes kind of common thinking of the day uh, and turns it upside down or maybe right side up, turns it on its head. And so Jesus frames this golden rule or what we call the golden rule, not in the negative sense. He doesn't say, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. That's really more of kind of a passive way of living. But Jesus says, do to others as you would have them do to you. And, And that's not passive at all. That's more of an active, intentional way of living. Most days I can hold off on having murderous thoughts to people that cut me off in traffic, right? But, but it's another thing entirely to have kind of positive thinking towards that person that cut me off in traffic, right? It's another way to live entirely. And why is it that Jesus says this? Why is it that Jesus can frame it not in the negative, but in the positive? Because we're told in Mark 10, 45, that the son of man came not to be served, but to do what? to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is one of the things that makes Christianity different than any other belief out there, 
Most other religious beliefs will tell you, here are the things that you have to do to find God. Or here are the things that you are required to do to earn God's favor. Right? That's almost every religion on the planet. Christianity is different because we have a Savior that came to us, that didn't tell us, here are all the things you have to do to find me, but He came to us. And He came to give His life as a ransom for many. He earned the favor of the Father on our behalf where we couldn't do it. That's what makes Christianity completely different than every other thing out there. And it's our Savior who came to give His life as a ransom for many. Our Savior who came not to be served, but to serve, is the same Savior who's speaking these words, do for others as you would have them do for you. And what is it that you would like to be done for you? I'm sure right now you're you're thinking of all kinds of things, of how you would like to be treated. Right? Do you want coffee given to you in bed every morning? Have you ever given coffee to anybody in bed? Right? You have all these things going through your mind right now of how you would like to be treated, but has it ever occurred to you that, that maybe as an expression of your faith, not to earn points with God, not to earn points with people, but as an expression of your faith that just maybe God would have you do for others, in the same manner that you would have them do for you. This command from Jesus to do is in line with His character because He is the one that has done. He's done for us things that we could never do for ourselves. Right? He came to serve, to give, to ransom His life. And it would be fitting, as ones who take the name Christian that we would live similarly to our Savior, that the Christian would look sort of like the Christ in that sense, right? That if we have a Savior who, who came, who gave, who serves, who ransomed His life, that maybe those who take on the name Christian, those who take on the name as a follower of Christ, would live similarly in our serving and in our giving and in our doing and in our sacrificing for others because it looks like our Savior. And so this is, this is a challenging passage for us to think about. It's challenging for us to consider how we would do for others in accordance to how we would have them do for us. And what Jesus is not saying here is He's not giving us this means to an end by saying, if you do for others, they'll do for you. Our Bible isn't telling us that. I, I used to work for a company years ago where uh, the owner of the company, fantastic guy, generous guy, good boss, treated his employees well, but his line of thinking, uh, and he heard this from a success coach, was that if you help enough other people get what they want in life, that's how you get what you want in life. So if you want to be successful, you help other people be successful, and that will bring you success. And really, in that line of thinking, this generosity really wasn't much of a generosity. It was a self-serving means to an end. That's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus isn't telling us that this is the way that the world works. He's not telling us that what you put into the world is what you get out of the world. What is it that Jesus put into the world? He, he served, he sacrificed, he gave, he ransomed. And what did he get out of the world? The world killed him. Like we killed him, right? And so, so this isn't necessarily uh, true as much as we might like to think it is. Our service to Christ is not a means to an end. Our doing and our serving and our giving to others is not to earn favor with God. It's not to earn favor 
with people. It's an expression of our faith trusting our Savior who says live this way. In a moment we'll get into the wide gate and the narrow gate and and realizing that this is not exactly an easy way to live. Why does this? Why does this? What does it matter if we think about this kind of more in the in the active terms rather than the passive terms? There's no intentionality required to passively sit back and, and restrain yourself from saying what you want to say, thinking what you want to think, doing what you want to do. But but when we think about serving and sacrificing for others, that requires intention on our part. It requires giving up something on our part. And again, we do so as an expression of our faith. In verse 13, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. So let me try to connect some dots here. Two gates that Jesus puts in front of us, the wide gate and the narrow gate. And the wide gate, it's a wide road, it's an easy road, lots of people are on it, so it's a popular road, right? Kind of the, the way uh, that everybody is going. But in the end, we're told that that wide, easy road, the wide gate, it leads to destruction. And that there are many people that are on this path to destruction. John in his gospel in the third chapter, verse 36 says that whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John is telling us our default position when we enter into this world is that that we are under God's wrath. Because of our sin and because of our rebellion, it doesn't say that God's wrath is on us. It says God's wrath remains on us, meaning it was already there. I promise we'll get to the good news here in a moment. But the wrath of God remains on those who do not believe in the Son. And what Matthew is telling us is that the wide road, the wide gate, the easy road... It's, it's full of people whom God's wrath remains on because it was already there. That's the destruction that the wide road leads to. The default position of humanity is being under God's wrath. The default position of humanity is being on the wide road. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, that you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. He's talking to a group of believers. He's talking to the church and he's reminding them that before you came to Christ, that you were dead in your trespasses. You were on the wide road headed with a crash course with destruction. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived. In the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So the bad news just keeps coming. Again, our default is that that we're, we're pitted on this wide road with everybody else heading towards destruction. 
Augustine back in his day, or Augustine, depending on how fancy you want to sound, um, Augustine uh, in his day coined a Latin phrase, incurvatus in se. And what that Latin phrase means is that, that a person is turned in or curved in on themselves. Augustine coined this phrase um, from his studies of the Bible, realizing, again, this, this idea that our default position as humans is that we are on a path to destruction under God's wrath because we are curved in on ourselves. Luther after Augustine would take it a step further and not just say that the person is curved in on himself, but, but he added to it homo incurvatus and say, meaning that humanity is curved in on it. Like it's a problem of all of humanity, not just a few people here and there, not even a wide swath of people, but humanity as a whole, Luther would say, is, is curved in on itself. And then later, after Luther, somebody coined the phrase ecclesia in curvatus in say, which means that the church is curved in on itself. And this, this was hundreds of years ago that, that theologians of the day recognized this as a problem. Like this is a problem that's been with humanity uh, from the beginning, that we're curved in on ourselves, that we're curved inward. Even oftentimes in our adherence to something like the golden rule, it can be a means to an end because we're curved in on ourself. And so we have this problem, this problem of sin, this problem of, of God's wrath as punishment for sin. But there is good news. Verse 14, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. So again, two gates, wide gate, lots of people on that road, lots of people heading to the wide gate, lots of people will find it. It's easy to find it's a popular destination. Everybody's headed there. And then the narrow gate. It's hard. Not very many people are on, on the narrow path, probably because it's difficult. Those who find it are few, so it's not popular. But it doesn't lead to destruction like the wide gate. It leads to life. So the way to life is difficult. And so what Jesus is telling us here is that there is a way of living that leads to death. And there's a way of living that leads to life. And we have these paths and these gates in front of us. The way that leads to life is unpopular and difficult, but it's what we sign up for as Christians. It's Christian living. The way that leads to death, again, it's our default but here, here's the dilemma. What, what the Bible, the idea that the Bible would support is that, that we can't course correct. We, we can't come to a point in our life and realize, okay, I'm on the wide path, the easy path. I need to be on the narrow and the difficult path. We don't have the ability without intervention to course correct. We're, we're not capable of doing that. And that's where we need somebody to course correct for us, somebody to do what we're not capable of doing on our own. We're incapable of it. The reason we're incapable of it is because of this, this problem of incurvatus in se. We're curved in on ourselves. We're focused on ourselves. 
And it's not just my problem and it's not just your problem. It's the problem of all of humanity. And, and that problem has crept in to the church as well because the church is filled with sinful, broken, flawed human beings, right? That's all of us. And so we have this problem. Augustine would say that the opposite of incurvatus in say, so if we have this problem of being curved inward, then, then what's, what's the answer? And the Latin phrase that he coined for this is versus ad diem. And it means curved outward and upward. Right? Instead of being curved inward, it means being curved outward and upward. Jesus tells us in John 14, 6, a passage that might be familiar to some. Jesus says of himself that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so, again, two paths, wide path, narrow path, easy path, difficult path, the path that leads to destruction, the path that leads to life. And we're incapable of jumping from one path to the next without intervention. And so Jesus tells us, as recorded in John's Gospel, that there's, there's one way to life. There's one way to truth. One way. And it's not having more good deeds than bad deeds. It's not doing enough for other people so that God will do for you. It's not doing enough for God so that He'll wake up and pay attention to you. That's not the way to life. The way, the truth, and the life is a person, and it's the person of Jesus Christ who lived perfectly the golden rule. You and I, even if we look at the golden rule and realize like this is kind of self-preservation, right? if I'm nice to people, they'll be nice to me. If I'm not a jerk to people, they hopefully won't be a jerk to me. Like We can look at this and, and figure out like if I live this way, this is just going to help me get along better in the world. But again, we're broken and we're flawed and we're sinful human beings and we're curved inward when we need to be curved outward and upward. And so we have this problem, right? Problem that, that humanity for the most part is on this path that ultimately leads to destruction. We need to be on this path that leads to life, but it's hard. Not many people are on that path, which makes it even harder to kind of not be where everybody else is, right? You feel like you're swimming upstream in the way of living. There's plenty of people in this world that live in a way that says what I put into the world is what I'll get out of it, right? This self-preserving kind of way. I'm going to be nice to people, so they'll be nice to me. There's plenty of people that live that way. It's not a hard concept for us to figure out. But that doesn't do anything with us. You can be on the wide path and live that way. The narrow path, the difficult path, is when we do for others without expectation of others doing for us. Think about the relationships that you have in your life. Probably just about every relationship that all of us have to some degree or another is very transactional. You do for me, I'll do for you. I'll continue in this relationship as long as it benefits me, but when this relationship stops to benefit me, when it becomes hard, when it becomes difficult, I'm going to cut toxic people out of my life, right? We hear that a lot lately. 
very transactional. Thankfully, Jesus doesn't look at us and our relationship with him as transactional in the sense that he does for us when we do for him. There was a transaction that took place on the cross, but it was a one-way transaction. Right? When you go to the store, you go to a restaurant to buy dinner, you order a meal, you get good service, you pay for dinner. Both parties benefit from this. What Jesus did for us on the cross, it was a transaction between him and the Father, but it came at a cost to him. Jesus taking on the sin of all of humanity, the sin of mankind, taking it on himself, satisfying the wrath of God and coming at at a cost. We're told in Ephesians chapter 2, we just read about how we're on a crash course with death, that, that all of humanity is on this crash course. And that if you're here today and you call yourself a Christian, that you can say, I once was on the wide path, but now I'm on the narrow path. But there's still this problem that the, the wide path is full of people on it. And so picking up in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 2, it says, but. In other words, in, in light of the fact that, that, that you, Christian, were once on the path that led to destruction, in light of the fact that, that the default of mankind is that everybody is on that path until they're not, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were on the wide path, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved, or by grace, you have been moved from the wide path to the narrow path. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. You're not getting out of the world what you put into the world. You're getting something from Christ that you don't deserve that's purely an act of grace on his part towards us. For We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them. And these good works that he's prepared for us beforehand is exactly what we're talking about today, doing for others as we would have them do for us without the expectation that they would do for us. Do you see how this kind of Christian living looks an awful lot like the Christ that we worship, the Christ that we follow? At the right time, the Father told the Son, it's, it's time to step into human flesh. And Jesus, in obedience to the Father, stepped into humanity. God dwelt among us, the Bible tells us, knowing fully well how this thing would end. Nothing in our Bible indicates that, that Jesus showed up and, and lived his life and was surprised at anything that happened to him. At no point did Jesus utter the words as he was going to the cross that this wasn't part of the plan. Right? Jesus knew what he was getting into. He, he knew 
that he was coming to do for those who would not do for him. And he did it anyway. Would you do that? Would you do something for somebody if you knew that it wasn't going to be reciprocated or you knew that it was going to come at a cost to you? Probably not. That's the beauty of our Savior. And that's why Jesus can be the one to say, live this way, do for others as you would have them do for you. That's why Jesus can say that. And that's why Jesus can say that living in that way, it's a narrow way to live because most of the world doesn't live that way. Most of the world doesn't live the way that we're talking about. Most of the world, and probably including all of us from time to time, like I'm I'm the most important person in my world most of the time, right? Probably true for you. I look out for me a lot. You probably do the same for you. And I have to be reminded from time to time that, oh yeah, as a Christian, I have a Savior who did for me things that I could never do for myself. And maybe it would be a good reflection of our Savior to live in that way. I've got to be reminded of that. Just like you need to be reminded of that. We have to be reminded of our, our problem of being curved in on ourselves. We have to be reminded that the curve ought to go outward and upward. And so then the question becomes, well, how, how does that happen? Okay, it's all, it's all well and good to know that. It's, it's well and good to recognize the problem. It's well and good to recognize the solution that Jesus is the way, that Jesus is the truth, that Jesus is the life, and that he, He's our way to the Father. He's the one that changes the direction of the curve from inward to outward and upward. It's His work. It's a gift of His grace that that work even can happen. It's a gift of His grace that we can even recognize the problems that we're talking about today. That's His work in us. Okay, so, so what do we do? What do we do? What do we do about this? The Bible calls us to faith. And even our faith, Hebrews 12 tells us, is a gift from God. He's the author of our faith. Right? I, don't, I don't possess faith in and of myself. I can't dig down deep and find the will to believe. Our Bible tells us that God is the author of our faith. He's the perfecter of our faith. Our Bible tells us in Philippians that, that He's the one that works in us to will and to do. So, so that we have even any desire for the things that we're talking about, even that is a work of God. Right? We're saved by grace through faith. And so what do we what do? We, do? We, we believe and we ask God to foster in us belief. We ask God to foster in us faith. Trusting that He will do that because the Bible tells us that that's what He does. That's His work. It kind of reminds me of an old episode of Seinfeld. I don't know how many Seinfeld fans there are here, but there's this episode of Seinfeld where George, the quirky bald guy, he spends a lot of his life just, just trying to get dates with girls. And there was an episode where he comes to this realization that like what I'm doing isn't working. I've been working on this my whole life and I just can't make it happen. So he comes to this realization that I need to do just the opposite of whatever comes natural to me. And so he walks up to the counter and sits down next to this woman and says, I'm George, I'm 35 years old, and I live with my parents. Can I buy you dinner? 
And the lady says, okay. <laughs> and it worked. Like going against his natural instincts was the thing that worked for him because he realized his natural instincts weren't paying off. And I think even in that silly illustration, there's a bit of a lesson for us to be learned here. Our natural instincts is what put us on the wide path. Our natural instincts is what put us on the road to destruction. And so much of the Christian life is maybe going against conventional wisdom, maybe going against even our our internal wisdom and what we think to be right and what we think to be true. I'm not saying that's true across the board. I think, you know, God gives us a brain and gives us the ability to use it. But our natural inclination to say that if I do for God, he'll do for me, like that's not a right way of thinking. Our right way of thinking would be to realize God has done for me when I don't even possess the ability to do for him. And that if I do anything for him, it's because he gave that ability to me. And so all of that to say, believe. All of that to say, believe the gospel. All of that to say, live gospel truth. And sometimes that means going against what might come natural to you. All of that to say that there's there's one way to course correct from the wide road to the narrow road. There's one way to live in a manner where you're able to do and to give and to serve and to sacrifice for others without any expectation of, of reciprocation at all. And that's to come to Jesus. And that's to trust Jesus with your life. That's to trust Jesus with what's going on in your world today. Versus ad diem, the curve going outward and upward. Posture your heart and posture your mind and posture your life outward and upward. Pastor Tim Keller years ago wrote a book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And again, it's this idea that like we spend so much time thinking about ourselves. We spend so much time centering our world around ourselves. And that's, that's, a, that's a hard way to live if you haven't figured that out. There's something liberating and something freeing when, when the curve isn't coming inward. There's something liberating about the curve going outward and upward when we're free to not worry so much about numero uno, but we're free to live a life that gives and a life that serves and a life that sacrifices. It's a hard way to live also. It's a narrow way to live. It's an unpopular way to live, but but maybe, just maybe, if Christians begin to look a little more like the Christ, what kind of impact do you think that might have in our world? When Christians look different than everybody else out there, I think oftentimes as Christians we work really hard to, to look not all that different from everybody else out there because we don't want to be the weirdos, we don't want to be the outcasts. But when Christians begin to look different than everybody else out there. Do you think people might pay attention to that? Do you think they might look at that and and learn something about who Christ is and what Christ has done for them? Yeah, I think so. And so I want to, I want to challenge us today, not, not to try harder to be better. Like that's not the message here. The message today is not try harder to be better because at the end of the day, you can't try hard enough to be good enough. Just know that. And that will never be the message of our church. We will never preach a message that tells you to try harder to be better. But the challenge today is, as Christians, that we would consider our way of living. 
that we would consider how much our life is a reflection of the Christ that we profess. And that as much as ability that God gives us, that we would begin to live in a way that reflects the Christ that we proclaim maybe a little bit more as time would go on. And that might mean doing things that that are not popular. That might mean doing things that are difficult. That might mean living in a way that would attract maybe some attention that you might not want all of the time. But that we would live in such a way the curve isn't going inward, but the curve is outward and upward. And I hope that we're, we're challenged with that today and also challenged with a belief in the gospel, a belief that reminds us that Jesus did for us what we're not capable of doing for ourselves. A reminder that he did for us without expectation of anything in return, simply because he loves us. And maybe even a reminder along those lines that God would give us a love for people that are different than us. I love people that are like me because I'm awesome, right? <laughs> you would probably say that about you too. But, but where the rubber really meets the road is like, do we, do we love people that are different than us, that are not like us? And we, we need God's help even, even for that. Even for that. So, so I hope that we're challenged today with doing for others in the way that our Savior has done for us. We're challenged in our faith, that we're challenged in our belief in the gospel, and that we're given a love for people who are on a different path, the path that we were once on as Christians, right? Such were some of you, the Bible tells us. And that as we consider those things, that that, that would spur us on towards more love, more good deeds for people, not because we're trying to earn any points or any favor, but simply because it's the outflow of faith in us. And it's an expression of our faith. So be challenged with that today. Uh, In the love of Christ, consider uh, your way of living. Consider who in your life you might be able to serve. Consider who in your life you might be able to sacrifice for in an effort to help them to come to know Christ. Father, we're thankful this morning as always. Thankful for all that you've done for us. Thankful that you love us enough uh, that you gave your life for us and thankful that you have given us your word uh, that we can learn from thankful that you've given us the church where we can uh, encourage one another as we gather together thankful that you're concerned for uh, our lives and our good so god i pray that you would help us um, help us in our way of living help us in our way of understanding the gospel Help us to do the things that don't come naturally to us. Strengthen our faith uh, as it's needed. Give us love for those around us. And I pray that um, as these things uh, take place in our lives, that you uh, would continue to bring people uh, in our direction who need to know you. Um, and we pray, God, that you uh, would grow our church, not, not for the sake of having a bigger church, but that you would add to our number, as you did in the Bible, daily those who are coming to faith in Christ. And we ask all of it in Jesus' name. Amen.